is Thursday, 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... How are you? I'm good. You're out and about today driving around, huh? I am. You know, the day caught up with me. I'm not back at my office the way that I had planned to be, but I am grateful for technology to be able to still participate. Yeah, it does wonders when it works, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Fingers crossed. So tell me, what is the word on the street? Well, we have a couple of words on the street today. Um, we're going to start with introducing the um, of the show today. We've got Eric Lazar from SpeedPro. Um, excited to have him and talk to him about all the things that he is doing. Um, if you have questions for him or any of our other panelists, this will include Laura and Jerry Akers today. Call us at 323-580-5755. Um, but the biggest news is Kristen's not with us today because she is here with me in uh, the Titus Center for Franchising, and she is in the, the Selling Franchises Boot Camp right now. I snuck out to come and wow. Yeah, so that's been a very fun full day of lots of information. Oh, my gosh. What kind of things have you guys been learning? Well, we had um, our keynote this morning was Dan Monahan, who gave a great talk. He's from Clear Summit Group. Um, and he just talked about digital marketing measurables, how you know what you're doing, where you need to be um, in the digital marketing space. He had a lot of great information. And then we had an afternoon keynote with um, Kayla Ryan. She talked a ton about Facebook marketing and using Messenger rather than getting people to your website, which was really interesting because she's young. She's a Gen Zer. And she was telling everybody, and, you know, most of the room, I would say, was over 40, probably more over 50. And I think some of it was very new concepts. She's like, we don't want to talk on the phone. We want a message. So they run Facebook ads to attract franchisees, and it's working. Her strategy is working. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing. But, yeah, I think that, yeah, the younger generation, that's what you hear, right? They don't want to be on the phone. So, you know, if I guess we still got to find them, though. They're still going to be good candidates. Well, and that's what she was saying. Don't, don't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you're not going to be in their spaces, you're not going to find them. And she said, you know, people don't always think that our Gen Z are, are good potential candidates, but a lot of the, she, she would be a great one. You know, mm-hmm. she's been in the business with her family. Yeah. She's got, you know, she may have capital to invest. And so it, I think it was eye-opening for a lot of, of the uh, mm-hmm. over 50 set. <laughs> we can't well, imagine yeah. not getting yeah. on the phone. Our goal is to get people on the phone. Their goal is to avoid. And my children are 24, my oldest ones, and they are like that. Like I had to make them call colleges when they were applying to college, and it was so <laughs> painful for them. So to reach them in a way that they're receptive to, where you're not forcing them into a phone call right off the bat, you kind of warm them up a little bit and make them feel like, okay, it's okay now that I can talk to a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think that that's, that's such an important part of sales, right? You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't expect everybody to be the customer that we think they should be. We have to, you know, figure out a way that our product or service can get to them. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's basic marketing principles. I think it's just such a foreign concept to most of us <laughs> on this call probably. That it's hard to wrap your mind around that you're going to not send them to your website and you're not going to send them to a form. 
She said her age hates filling out forms. They are going to send them yep. to your Facebook Messenger. Okay. So, I, well, I, thought, for, I thought it was pretty interesting. She did a great job. I'd be curious if anybody, you know, who listens, you know, if you guys have seen this and, and you know, is it happening? Is it more than just their brand? Yeah. Yeah, and she's uh, her ratios of, of people that she's closing are pretty high compared to the industry. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's yeah. got something figured out, and she's making it work. So it's a lesson <laughs> in listening to the uh, the younger set on some of this stuff. That is interesting. Yeah, I think especially for some franchises, you know, that really appeal to a younger audience, that may be, um, you know, I can think of some, like, you know, some that do, like, for example, like lashes, like lash extensions, and they're very low entry, low mm-hmm. cost to enter. Um, and that may really be something where, you know, that's how you will get really good franchisee candidates. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm interested if anybody in the audience has started using this form of marketing and, and what the result has been, if you're seeing a significant increase in your target audience. And she was talking about that, too. The, the ability to target on social platforms is very high. So if you're not utilizing that, you know, that's a, that's a myth. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, what good insights. Yeah, so it's been good. Tomorrow we listen to Michael Mudd, um, who's the CEO and partner at Brand One. Um, he's going to talk about brand devs. So I'm sure we will be filling everybody in when Kristen's back with us next week. Um, but in the meantime, we are going to see you a little later in the show. But right now, we have Eric Lazar and Karen Kinsey Ford is joining. Hello. Hiya. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted, uh, delighted to be able to, uh, to uh, interview and, and have a chat with Eric. I know Elizabeth is too. Um, Eric Lazar is partnered with Speed Pro Chicago Loop. Um, he's been a partner since 2015. I think this is when you, when you started it. Correct. And um, Speed Pro Chicago specializes in large format digital printing. Um, this things like encompasses things like corporate decor, brand activations, event signage, kind of exhibits and trade show displays. Um, what I love is, is that Speed Pro is a service-disabled veteran-owned business. Eric served in the military, the U.S. Marine Corps, for eight years. Um, thank you for your service. As always, I love that. Pass uh, uh, off to veterans. Thank you. Eric and Rebecca, have, uh, you're currently nominated. This is exciting. You're nominated for the International Franchise Association's 20, is it 2022 Franchisee of the Year Award? We'll know the results soon for that. And even just to be nominated is pretty darn cool. So mm-hmm. I bet you've you know, been thrilled about that. Um, so, And you're also past president of Speed Pro's National Franchise Advisory Council. And uh, you currently sit on some boards and leadership roles with several veteran organizations. So, wow, um, lots, lots going on with you. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty pretty exciting. Um, pretty so, uh, so welcome. Thank you. It's a pretty stacked schedule. <laughs> I bet it is. I bet it is. So, so we'd love to start with kind of share some highlights of your journey and even what got you into franchising. What got me into franchising? Um, you know, I, I, my career uh, coming out of the military, uh, you know, I went to college. Uh, I had a very difficult time figuring out where I was going to fit. Um, and I started, you know, always had an entrepreneurial bug. I didn't have uh, that was, I came from two educators. My parents were both educators. So, you know, business and entrepreneurship was not in the blood. Um, started my first venture uh, doing resume writing. I couldn't find a job coming out of college. And as they say, those who can do and those who can teach. And, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of teaching and tried to make a go of it, but I wasn't very good at it. And uh, I found my way into television. Uh, so I you know, worked in sales uh, for TV stations, had a really quick rise through the ranks and uh, spent 15 years in that industry. And then I got the bug again to go do my own thing and started a mobile technology business, which that my my little business got absorbed. Uh, the business I went to work for that absorbed me, um, we had a really, you know, uh, great growth spurt over couple of years, we wound up uh, 262 on the Inc. 500 list uh, shortly after. And then that little business, you know, that wasn't such a little business, that business got bought and then uh, was bought again. Um, the final time was by a private equity. And with that, I had a, uh, I had a little bit of a payment, not enough to retire, but enough to go do my own thing again. And, you know, I basically had a year to transition out. Uh, as 
you know, as, as that buyout was coming through and I started looking for opportunities and I wasn't really quite certain that I wanted to go do something on my own is I was looking to make a little bit bigger investment. Um, and certainly the, the reason I think that people buy franchises is you don't know, you don't know. And if you're going to make that kind of investment, there are sort of rules of the road and there's structure and there's foundation and there are people to learn from. And that's why I decided to pursue franchising um, as sort of the next opportunity. And then it was just a matter of sort of finding which franchise, what business had the greatest level of appeal. And, and what, what led you to, uh, uh, to, to your, uh, to your franchise? Trump. Yeah, and just, you had to service points, kind of select that uh, out of all the different brands and everything. That's interesting. It, yeah, you know, I spoke to a number of different business brokers as I was going through that process through the due diligence. And, you know, they, they all have a very similar exercise of trying to figure out, you know, what are the appropriate franchises for you based on your background and based on your interests. Um, I really didn't know what I was looking for. I actually, the, I think my, my primary, um, I don't know, direction was, was really towards something with security. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I, uh, was an intelligence analyst. Um, I one of my hobbies is guns. I love to shoot, um, and that's sort of a culture that I understand and I embrace. And I really thought sort of some, a franchise that was involved in security would be interesting. And I, but I also had a vast amount of experience over 20 years between television and mobile technology, which was really advertising, marketing, mm-hmm. um, and. The only com, really the only commonality between all three of the different business brokers was printing. And I don't think anybody grows up to say that they want to be a printer. And particularly <laughs> coming from sort of sexy industries like television and mobile technology, printing would not be a natural evolution. But I figured because that was the, the one common thread between all of them that I really needed to investigate it. And so I started, you know, basically diving down into those kinds of, you know, the, the printing franchises. Um, and SpeedPro was the one that just appealed to me. I felt like I had the, the greatest amount of latitude uh, to build a brand that, you know, would also allow, it, it would reflect who I am as a person, mm-hmm. um, that it wasn't going to, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be anonymous and it was just, I was going to have to rely on the brand um, for the business. So, yeah. Because I think that's important. You, you talk about that, right? Where it's how do you, it's building your own brand within the brand, you know, within SpeedPro's brand. So it's not just totally relying on theirs, but it's also relying on, on your, yours, your personal brand. 100% is, you know, I think there are some brands that, you know, people don't even realize that they're, fran- you know, that they're, they're franchises. I mean, you, you, McDonald's, Taco Bell, all, all these kinds of things is that the, the personality behind that business is less important because the brand is so strong and it stands on its own. Uh, for me, you know, I think part of the challenge of uh, the challenge that I want to put myself to as a business owner is really, I love the marketing. And so the marketing is really a reflection of, you know, sort of brand Eric, who I am, um, and also the products and the services and the customer journey that we give um, that I didn't, you know, I didn't, I also didn't want to be, that if people had a bad experience with, you know, with the brand, that it wasn't necessarily going to be tied to me, that I, I really could have a level, level of independence and autonomy that, you know, I, I was going to live and die by my own sword is, you know, Eric's not good at what he did or, you know, Speed Pro Chicago Loop wasn't good at what they did. Um, but it wasn't, you know, what some other, you know, Speed Pro or another, you know, another franchisee within the system um, it wasn't really going to reflect on me. So, uh, you know, that's that's why SpeedPro really appealed to me because I really thought I had the, the greatest amount of individual autonomy uh, to go build a brand. And so, Eric, to that, to that, I want to kind of go back a little bit. I'm, in terms of the military background that you have, you know, the franchising in general does lend itself well to military vets just because there is structure, there is process, there's a lot of things that, that you are used to um, coming out of the service, but also wanting to do something that is 
involved with leadership and something that you can impact other people's lives and that you can have that those roles. So talk to us a little bit about that dichotomy between the structure and the process and the military background versus the personal brand and the leadership and how all of that plays together that you found that you have found such success in this in this space. Yeah, there it's a, it's a little bit of a dichotomy because you know like I, on one hand, I'm talking about is having that level of autonomy um, and that independence, which is not really commensurate with a military experience. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's not true. But, you know, the Marine Corps also, you know, they, they want somebody who can adapt and overcome and take initiative, you know, when those things. So, you know, people have a vision of what the military is very, very structured and certainly is. But there's also a value for, you know, those individual attributes that and that's what makes a great leader is that they can stand out and they can see the mission, but they can adapt and they can overcome um, and, and, you know, again, put their their personal, you know, sort of their personal initiative into it. Um, and for me, it's like my personal fulfillment comes from leading people. Uh, I love it is if I can impact somebody, make a difference in one, their day to day life, but also give them those kinds of lessons that they can carry forward, whether it's going to be in a new job, how they interact with people in their own personal space, you know, do they grow? Um, that's what a leader is. And, you know, owning a business is a great, you know, you know, it's a great forum for that. It's a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to enable me to, you know, to do that. And it's, uh, you know, that's very fulfilling. And I think about the whole, the the leadership piece, and I think about just even starting, you know, you started this franchise. What's some key advice you have for people of the the key things to really kind of focus on? Because you've you've built a very successful franchise. So what are some things that advice you'd say, okay, make sure you keep these things in mind as you're building your franchise, as you're, you know, and you're building your brand? I think you've got, I think everybody has to go into it with the understanding is, and I mentioned it before, is you don't know what you don't know, is there certainly, there's a, a, a plethora of life lessons that you take with you and experiences, but, you know, you, to some extent, you have to, you have to put a little bit of that aside. Um, one of the things that was incredibly valuable for me is I put myself through, I, I guess I'd call it like a, a little mini executive MBA for Speed Pro. Um, when I bought in, I actually didn't start looking for space. Um, I, you know, we, we did a little bit of pre-selling, but, you know, I spent the first, I don't know, probably 10 weeks. Tra- it just so happened, actually, when I bought in with about a week or two later was the Speed Pro convention. And when I went to convention, I asked the, the CEO of the franchise, would you introduce me to the top 10 players in the system? And during those three or four days of convention, I went, I introduced myself to them, and I asked them, would you allow me to come to your studio for three, four, five days and just watch, listen, and learn? And I traveled the country basically for the next 10 or 12 weeks going, yeah, I'm here in Chicago, but I, I was in Florida. I was in California. I was... Wow. All like coast to coast every single week. And that was the way that I learned because I want I wanted to learn from those people that were successful and what kind of equipment did they have, what kind of space, what were the markets that they were going after. Um and I could take what I wanted, I can dismiss the other. And you know, there were there were things that were like, Oh yeah, I can embrace this. It's like I understand this, this is really cool, or that's not really the kind of business that I want to develop. So I, I think first and foremost is is asking questions, but also, you know, being able to, you know, putting your ego aside and really being, you know, really being willing to listen um, and, you know, challenge, again, some of your preconceived notions of that you can do it better. And, you know, I and to a certain extent, it's like, you know, I, I was a little bit of a victim that I, I came in with a little bit of arrogance and, you know, so... <laughs> Um, you know, I thought I did, I thought I knew better and, and maybe there were some things that are okay, but it, it, it's risky. And, yeah. you know, we, there were, there were, it's certainly, I, I, you know, in some cases I wish I had, 
I had probably taken my own advice and listened a little harder and probably could have saved myself, uh, you know, some financial agony. Yeah. Okay. So what's the biggest lesson learned then, right? When you said, you know, cause we all do go and I can do this. And I'm sure you visit around and got those best practices and everything. So what's when where you're like, whoops, big lesson learned. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's really around money is it, it doesn't last as long as you think it's going to. Yeah. Uh, and be careful, you know, and but it really depends on the kind of franchise. Like we're a manufacturing franchise. So there's a lot of investment in, you know, equipment and materials and, and things of that nature. And we got, you know, perhaps a little bit too aggressive uh, that we didn't give ourselves an opportunity to grow is when I'm going around and I'm looking at these top 10 businesses, I, you know, I went into it saying, well, we'll build it, you know, build it and they will come. Um, and we didn't give ourselves the chance to really grow into it. Uh, so it took us a while before we stabilized. We had a lot of uncertain years. I mean, it really wasn't, I'd say, you know, those first four years were tremendously painful, tremendously difficult. And just as we were beginning to emerge from it, we got hit with COVID mm-hmm. and who could have expected that? Yeah. Um, and this was finally the year that, you know, this, this was the trajectory we were on, but we had, you know, a, a, it was a two year delay. I mean, we just you got our knees cut out like everybody else. It wasn't right. any, different, but it was just things you couldn't project for. And, you know, those first four years that we were building towards just, you know, they were, you know, they, we didn't, we didn't get the benefit as soon as we should have. Right. So, I just, I would tell people like the money, be careful with the money is really think through it. And um, I don't know, don't, don't let your ego get in the way, which oh, yeah. causes, <laughs> that that causes some problems. <laughs> well, Eric, as you were learning um, and going through these growing pains and learning what you didn't know, and then learning what, you know, learning the lessons along the way, um, you you became the the leader of your Pro Franchisee Association, right? I became I became president <laughs> of the FAC. I don't. Even, I think I was there a year. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. It was, I, I think I, 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 a year. I think a year. I mean, it was I, when everybody walked in to the the meeting. They announced it at the um they they announced it at the conference. I think everybody was slapping their heads, thinking like, yeah. "How? Like, how? Yeah. Wait. and it's like nominating <laughs> as a joke. Um, this shouldn't be. He has no experience." But you know, we stood out right away. Is we had, you know, our first year we had some really breakout months, and we were doing things that were interesting and innovative that we caught people's attention. And and you know, if I, if I'm going to be, you know, sort of you know, self-evaluative and be honest with myself. Like, I know I have sort of a big personality um, and it's not my nature to sort of be in the corner. So, you know, I put myself out <laughs> like there. there was, yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I wanted to get, I wanted to get noticed. So, it, it was, but, um, yeah, but we, we did some things that got, you know, that, that I, I think, you know, changes just the way we invested in equipment. And I think our thoughts and our, our ideas were again innovative and challenged the norm, challenged the status quo, um, and so yeah, I, I wound up getting elected president. So. That's interesting. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, and and to speak to your personality and your nature, and having a big personality often lends itself to leadership when channeled in the right way. So why why was it important to you to be involved in an association, to get involved, to take that leadership role? Because a lot of people may not have wanted to do that right after the first year, but that seems to be a running thread and a running theme for you in the things that you choose to do. So what do you, what do you think you contributed as a leader and why is it important to participate in things like that in the franchising world? So I think I got it by default because you're probably right. Nobody else wants it. Um, <laughs> I hear that a lot. <laughs> so I, like, I, I can't give myself all that much credit. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there were, there were the, the other FAC members elect the president and they were all experienced and like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll sit on the fact, but I don't want to take, you know, take lead. Um, 
I probably wasn't very good at it though because I didn't have enough experience. I and honestly, it's like I'm, I'm not being self-deprecating for for humor. It's you know I wasn't good at it because I didn't have enough experience. It's like I could I could talk theory and I could talk ideas, but I didn't have the experience to be good in that role at that time. And I was also trying to build a business. So, right. you know, we made huge investments and we didn't have, you know, we didn't have the stability. It's like, you know, every month for us, we needed to grow. We needed to grow because we made those investments. We had huge bills that we had to pay. Um, and I wasn't able to lend it probably the, the benefit that I would be able to now. Um, but I think serving in a leadership ca capacity is important, is the, the ability for me to build the relationships that I did with the home office. I think it gave us a lot of latitude that we may not have otherwise had mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, the, you know, whether it was experimenting with the brand, um, the marketing stuff is, is what I like. So it's like, let's do something with the colors. Let's get away from a traditional red, black, white logo. Let's, let's try to be a little bit more exciting and vibrant and push that. And you know, we did stuff with email and we did stuff with video. So we had a lot of latitude and I spent a lot of time really off the reservation, um, from what's, you know, from what corporate would have liked. Uh, but Serving, serving on the council, serving in leadership, and then not only seeing what we were doing, but really hearing the rationale. It gave me a forum um, to do that, and you know, give you know that they would grant me the access to to go and test those things. Yeah. Uh, and then having you know, having that visibility with the other franchisees is really important. Is having that trust is you know, particularly for a business like ours where we are doing business coast to coast, and we do need to rely on our other franchisees to, you know, perhaps produce something in a jam or to help with installation. Uh, you know, having those relationships is really important. And if they see you in a leadership position and a person that they can trust and a person of integrity, you know, there's certainly a whole heck of a lot of benefit. And you know, being, again, being able to draw from all of their experiences and knowledge. Um, I mean, I just, those 10, 12 weeks of just going, you know, traveling the country and now having 10 owners that really had a stake in our success because they were, they were my mentors and yeah. they wanted to see us. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, all of that stuff is so beneficial to to a franchisee's growth. Absolutely, it's funny. A lot I, again. Another thread I see is the re, the word relationship, relationship with the franchisor, relationship with other franchisees, relationship with with customer, your brand. I think that's really interesting. Um, one of the things that that uh, that you had indicated talked about is I think you said what was it that you've you've never you've yet to make a cold call. Right. Yeah. And that you really do rely on a relationship and networking and getting clients. Tell us a little bit about that and that. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I'm really like an anti-sales person. It's like people buy from me. It's like I'm not a pitch person. Uh, it, it's never been how I've, you know, how I've sold. It's like I, I like the relationship. I want people to do business with me because they join me, they entrust, you know, they trust me, um, you know, it's a no like trust. Um, but it's, and hopefully I'm giving them a great product or I'm, again, their customer journey is going to be exceptional. And, you know, that's, that's what I can offer. Um, but we really, we developed a really cool networking strategy. And the way we built the business was simply, initially it was just sort of, you know, throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall. We went to every single networking event that you could possibly go to. I mean, breakfast, lunches, dinner, every single day, just meeting people. Um, and then we, as we, when we go there, we had a, our strategy to talk with one person is like, we, you know, Rebecca, my partner, and I, we would try not to speak with any one person for longer than 10 minutes. And when we would speak with somebody, we would try to do it in groups. So we would be with a group of three or four people for 10 minutes, and then you just sort of find a nice way to move on and eat. So we began to build this, this network of sort of cards, but then we would dig in. It's like, would you like to get a coffee? Okay. 
And then I was scheduling coffees. I'd have two every single morning at 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. at the same place. Then I'd go back to the office. If there was a lunch of some sort of networking, I would do that. Then I would go back to this coffee shop and I'd have a meeting at three o'clock and then another one at four o'clock. And then I would go out and do something else. And what I was doing is when, as I was meeting with these people, it's like, who do you want to know? It's like, I've got a great network. And, you know, people would share that. And I said, do me a favor, give me an intro graph, give me a, you know, a four to eight line intro graph on how you would like to be introduced. And I started putting all of these into a singular document. So it's, it's like a very analog LinkedIn of just the people that I've sat with and talked with. But I also didn't invite everybody in. If I met with somebody and I was like, eh, I don't really, this is not the kind of person that I feel comfortable introducing. I never told them about this list or that I would offer to make intros. And we would build, we were just building this list and just alphabetical with everybody's four to eight line intro. And then after I met with somebody and said, you know, like asked them if they wanted, you know, if they'd like some introductions, I said, here's my list, go through it. Tell me who you'd like an introduction to and send me that list back with that four to eight line intro graph. And I would sit, and I would make intros. That was my Saturday and Sunday morning. And I would do about, it got up to about 250 introductions every single wow. week. Wow. <laughs> that I was just, you know, you know, cut and pasting two different intro graphs onto an email, introducing those two people. And it was unbelievable because we were, we were connecting so many people. We were creating business for so many people. I mean, because, if somebody, you know, if you came to me and said, you know, I'd like to meet these 37 people on your list, and all of a sudden, over the course of, you know, 10 weeks, you're getting two or three intros, you know, a week, like, you also feel an obligation to return the favor and make introductions for, for me. Um, and that's why we've never had to make a cold call is everybody in our network is doing our marketing for us as, as I am doing their marketing for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it, would I say it's completely altruistic? No, but it's, it's, there's a nice synergy and there's a nice harmony. Everybody is benefiting. Um, and when those introductions are made in such a, you know, in a warm and sincere way, there's just an inherent level of trust that, you know, that goes with that introduction and people are willing to, to take that next coffee. And that list keeps on building and, you know, they right. tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends. And it was just, it was just, it's a really amazing way of doing business development. So, uh, yeah, I like, I'm really proud to say we've never made a cold call in eight years. Love it. I love it. The give back first. Yeah. Let's just give any final question that you'd like to ask Eric. Yeah. Um, I think you have a lot more to say, and it sounds like you have a lot of information you'd be willing to offer or share with others. Um, so tell people how to get in touch with you. If they've got questions about your networking method, I know you do some speaking and presentations on that. Um, yeah. Somebody would like to hear more or get in touch. What is the best way to reach you? Sure. Best way to reach me is my email, uh, which is Eric, E-R-I-C dot Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R at speedpro, S-P-E-E-D-P-R-O dot com. Perfect. Well, we will have that on our website. If you're interested, you can go to pillarsoffranchising.com also and click on Eric's show post and learn more about him and find all of that information there. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. It's been it a, a really interesting conversation. You've got a lot to offer. <laughs> thank you very much. And, and, and good luck. Good luck. Yeah, and good luck. You're you're the back. <laughs> I will let you know. I, I, we will be shouting it from the rooftops if uh, if we if we. Will. I bet you will be. Yeah. And you know what? Well, Congratulations just for being nominated. That's an honor. Really appreciate it. And send us a note. We'll send out a message on all of our um, our platforms. So. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, 
We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. Laura, how are you today? I'm doing so well, Jerry. How about you? I'm doing outstanding. I got to tell you, that segment with uh, Eric was phenomenal, wasn't it? I know. It's very inspirational. I love his stories and all of his, you know, thoughts for new franchisee candidates. Yeah. And, you know, I made like a page of notes that I'll (laughs) be talking about in my section. Uh, So I'm excited. But, you know, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to kick off your segment. So, you know, you always bring such a a great uh, piece to what we do here at Pillars of Franchising, uh, both from the legal side and just to kind of an outside outsider looking in, I guess. So what are we what are we going to talk about today, Laura? Well, you know, I think we're going to talk a little bit about franchisee associations. And Eric touched on it, uh, franchise advisory councils. We're going to touch a little bit on those two and some of the nuances to keep in mind when you hear that the franchise you're looking at has one or both. Well, you know, they're, they're kind of two different things. You know, I'm on the International Franchise Association, which is the largest franchise-related uh, association around. I'm also on the, uh, the executive committee, the executive franchise committee for Great Clips. And, of course, my other brand, I'm not on that, but uh, I have a lot of involvement with it. So um, you're absolutely right. You know, as a franchisee, understanding what that, those different things mean, what they stand for, how you can become involved, maybe even how they protect you and help you grow, you know, your part of the world is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So if we dive in, you know, for franchisee associations, um, when I talk to my clients about these, you know, I kind of compare the associations to like, sort of like a little union. (laughs) Um, They really are meant to be an independent organization of franchisees. Um, Usually the franchisees themselves are the ones that create it. Um, Membership is completely voluntary, right? You know, just like a union, you don't have to join. Um, And, you know, the associations usually are really involved um, to try and push the franchisor um, for things that they think would be beneficial, both for franchisees as well as, you know, for just the growth of the system for customers. Um, And so, you know, we see things like, you know, they will suggest different marketing campaigns, they will want to push for different changes, um, you know, and sometimes they do a really good job of negotiating on behalf of all the franchisees. Uh, it can be very strong. You know, uh, again, the, um, the elected or named positions on uh, uh, franchisee boards or whatever you want to call it that are a part of the franchisors uh, segment Uh, They're very strong and they do a great job. And what you're talking about is a little bit different than that with the associations and they come about it differently. And there's a lot of power that goes with that, but with a lot of power also goes some responsibility, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you want to make sure that, you know, when, if you're in a franchise and somebody's thinking about doing an association, you know, you really need to make sure that you understand, you know, what are the goals, Right. Because it's not just, you know, yeah, we're going to stand up for ourselves. You know, that's, that's, that's not a clear goal. <laughs> uh, it's a little too broad. Well, so. and, you know, um, and I'm interested to hear your take on this because I've heard some stories about some franchisors who have some things expressly uh, spoken out in their um, FDDs that talk about perhaps not having an association or how they would deal with an association. So I'm sure with your experience, wow. you've got some comments about that. Yeah, you know, and some franchisors will, um, you know, there can be different associations in, in very large franchise systems, right? If there are many, many, you know, thousands of franchisees, there might be different groups, right, who represent different sure. people, different owners who have different interests, different goals. Um, and the franchisor, you know, they have the right to interact with them or to, um, right. and so, you know, you really do want to go in with a collaborative approach, not a argumentative um, blaming approach and you know that's kind of where people get 
um, the difference or, you know, the, the, I guess the difference really between the associations and the franchise, the advisory councils, FACS for short, F-A-C-S, um, those can, you know, sometimes seem similar, right? Because what a FAC is by comparison is that it's usually a group that is appointed uh, by the franchisor. Usually these are gonna be, you know, some of the strongest franchisees in the system, right? They're gonna be those top 10, like Eric was mentioning in his system, um, or they're gonna be, you know, people from different parts of the country, depending on what kind of input the franchisor is looking to get. Um, and because it is organized by the franchisor, you know, those are groups that, you know, they meet when the franchisor calls them to meet. They give advice on what they're asked to give advice about. You know, it's not usually something where they come up with the topic, right? Although sometimes they might have thoughts to share. Um, and so it's a little bit more top down from the franchisor. Um, but both, you know, both of them need to work collaboratively because otherwise the franchisor, you know, their, their staff, their executive staff is just going probably ignore it if they're just there to be argumentative, be litigious. Um, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Well, you touched on it and you're 100% right. Uh, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's a FAC or uh, an association because either one of those can go the wrong direction and create a little bit of uh, um, you know, animosity with the franchisor. Mm -hmm. um, so franchisees, need to understand that, again, there's responsibility that goes with either one of those positions. And uh, you do have to work collaboratively with them because uh, if they do start ignoring you, uh, you lose all authority with them and you, can't, you simply can't do your job. There's nowhere to go from there. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, that's you know, some of it, but I really, and I really encourage franchisees when they're in the stage of reviewing, you know, the FDD itself, um, it does have a requirement to disclose if they have associations or if they have advisory councils. Um, and those, you know, if you're looking at buying into a large system where those exist, those can be a really good source of information, right? If you're doing, you know, verification calls to make sure that you love the franchise before you buy in, um, you know, if you don't feel like you're getting enough input or you're getting enough calls back potentially from individual franchisees that you, you call, um, definitely reach out to the association or the back. I can almost assure you that they will get back to you. Well, yeah. And again, tying your conversation to what Eric said, um, you know, Eric did a coast to coast trip when he was deciding if he wanted to become involved just so that he could touch base with those uh, experienced, larger, successful franchisees. And uh, you may be able to do some of that same thing. You don't have quite as much face-to-face, -face, but if you just get a list of some of the people that serve on the FAC or in the association and contact them directly, because to your point, a lot of them are the larger, more successful ones. So depending on what direction you want to go with your franchisee life, whether you want one or two, <laughs> you know, one or two locations, or if you really want to grow to something larger, you may or may not want to get involved in that kind of stuff. So that's great information, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jerry. You bet. So I think now we're going to go pay the bills, if I remember correctly, <laughs> and then you and I'll be back on to talk about some other things. What are the top three reasons that you should tune in to Felicia Franchising? One, franchise advice from a million-dollar mentoring team. And two, how about interviews from franchise professionals and influencers? And number three, how about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise? Join us on Solutions of Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you listen to your podcast. Oh! I forgot. It's not Laura. It's the lovely Elizabeth working it with is. me on this one. Yeah, you got you got to spread the love around, Jerry. Today. Well, I know, but I'd have ended on a different note with Laura if I had remembered that. That's my bad. <laughs> but I'm glad to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I just got to tell you, I was really, really excited to hear what Eric had to say. Uh, 
you know, there's so many things that are in common with some of the things I've done in my franchise journey. And uh, there are just some comments he made that make me feel a lot more comfortable because, you know, when he talks about having a big personality, uh, which actually got him, uh, you know, on the on the advisory board or the FAC or whichever it was, um, I, I think my family would agree that might be my position in life, too. So. Well, I think so. I think I think the the commonality you you and he have, and I, I think I have a little bit of it too, is that we're joiners and we like to, it, well, whether we like it or not, sometimes we end up in charge of things that we join. Um, and not everybody is made that way, and that's okay. But I do think it's important to discuss the importance of joining things like this as a franchisee, especially because that's how you use the system that's built for you, right? Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, part of what I'm going to talk about here today is just uh, reinforcing and commenting on the things Eric said because you know we come from different backgrounds, we're in different brands. There's lots of differences, but there's also some commonality mm-hmm. because um, you know he wanted to be extremely successful from the beginning. That's what we wanted to do, so we went out of our way to spend time with uh, some of the more successful franchisees, regardless of the size of their organization, because success can be defined a lot of different ways. You may have you know, one location, but it performs at a much higher level than uh, a lot of the other people in the system. So I would argue you should spend time with that franchisee. Uh, If you want to be a very large organization, spending time with franchisees that have grown their group uh, is a good way to learn from them and so on. So I really want to reinforce uh, what Eric said about, uh, about that. You know, from my standpoint as a franchisee, you need to decide that early in your franchise career Uh, because, you know, going to events that are put on by your franchisor and uh, spending time not only in organized um, opportunities with your peers, but also going out of your way, as he did the tour of the country and talk to successful franchisees. Um, As many of you will remember, uh, you know, a couple years ago, my wife and I, in the midst of COVID, did a coast-to-coast tour to touch base with a lot of franchisees and you know, let them know it was going to be okay, and uh, you know they hadn't lost their relationships and so on. And uh, we're still feeling the reverberations of those visits, you know, two years later. So I think Eric Eric touched on some amazing things there. I really like what he's built there and how far he's gone. And I think he is a success story that many franchisees or potential franchisees that are listening may want to take some extra notes and may even reach out to him. Yeah, I think so too. I think he'd be a great resource, as are you for many. I think mentorship is in your in your blood as well. Um, and in terms of, you know, fr- we always talk about franchising, franchising, not you're not in a silo, right? You're in business right. for yourself and not by yourself. So one of the things these associations does, these associations do is is reiterate that and it gets you in a community of people who are doing the same thing as you. But also it gives voice because there's there's an amplification of voice and numbers and groups. So what is the importance, because you have been heavily involved in the IFA on the board and in various roles, what do you think benefits, if I'm a new franchisee coming into a system, what is the benefit of me for being involved in some of those things in my overarching experience as a franchisee? Sure. Well, we'll talk about IFA specifically. Um, Education. So, Mm -hmm especially emerging brands, sometimes um, they don't have a lot of uh, time and experience where you're going to have a a large group of experienced and successful franchisees. So you as a potential new franchisee may not be able to get a ton of best practices from them. Uh, The franchisor, if it's an emerging brand, may not have built up as much infrastructure yet. So you're still maybe not getting as much information and support as you need. But when you go to IFA, you're hanging out with hundreds of experienced franchisees from different brands that, you know, may not be specific to what you're doing with your brand, but their, you know, their best practices may quite well adapt to what you're doing. So I would say that's the number one thing, the connections you get, the support you get from, you know, fellow franchisees and so on. I think uh, uh, one of them that's forgotten quite often is having a voice on Capitol Hill. Uh, as a franchisee from your state, your representatives want to talk to you. They want to hear from you. And you really want to reach out to them and talk to them about, um, you know, maybe some things going on in D.C. That, that will impact your business, your employees, and so on. And so IFA takes that on and, and uh, you know, handles all the responsibility of setting that up and getting you in touch with people. And, you know, um, 
I think just serving with other people. And, and as we talked about with Eric, the leadership component that goes with it. You know, when I, when I joined IFA, I had no intention of being on the board or serving as the moderator of the franchisee forum. Um, but uh, it's necessary. You know, we need franchisees to take on a little bit of that. You're hanging out with other very successful franchisees that have maybe gone before you to lead that. And uh, you, you kind of want to put your stamp on it, your thumbprint, if you will, a little bit. And we all have different ideas about how we can best support other franchisees. And this is an, it's an amazing opportunity for you to actually put that into action. So those are probably the big three. There's certainly a lot of other uh, opportunities. Uh, uh, they've got specific educational paths for franchisees, so you can learn a ton about franchising overall. Uh, but that's IFA. And I totally think uh, people should should get into that. You know, the FACs that the uh, existing brands have where you can be involved either as a member of the FAC or just, uh, you know, um, talking to your FAC representative about issues going on in your specific business that maybe the franchisor hasn't talked about or thought about or or maybe you've got a best practice that would help all the other franchisees and you can pass it upstream through that. So um, I think there's power in being uh, involved in the FAC for your franchise brand at some level, uh, and also kind of an overarching uh, power and need to be involved in the IFA. So I, I think doing both of them uh, is an ancillary piece of being a franchisee, and I think it's quite powerful. So if you're, in the, um, if you're communicating with your FAC, do, for those who are brand new, do they have the ear of the franchisor? Do they make impact and help with change and pass those experts? As practices up, is that relationship a, going both directions? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, first off, uh, every FAC works a little differently, but by and large, they have at least quarterly meetings and maybe monthly meetings as a group. Generally, there will be some corporate people uh, listening in to some of those meetings or maybe even engaging in the meetings. And what the corporate group wants to hear is what you're hearing from the franchisees that are talking to you in your region or your area or whatever the case might be. So, yes. Uh, somebody with one unit in a very small town somewhere, if they've discovered something that will really help, they can pass it up line through those and they do listen. Now, what many franchisees forget is the franchisor has some goals too uh, that they hope to have franchisees help them reach. And you may or may not see the changes that you want, but you still need to continue to pass that upstream or you're never going to know if it's going to make a difference. So, yes, uh, they do listen. Uh, many groups and many FACs will have meetings with just the FAC members, uh, maybe interspersed amongst the ones that corporate is involved in so that they can do some brainstorming kind of behind the scenes to have a united front when they present to the franchisor. But um, both of those are very powerful, and I would suggest everybody gets involved in it. So final question for you, Jerry. How have you seen your personal brand and your businesses benefit from your participation in these kinds of associations? You know, that was one of the things I wanted to call out here. I made a note uh, where uh, Eric talked about building the Eric brand. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we in our different markets have built our own brand that is headed by Great Clips or the Joint Chiropractic, but yet every franchisee has to follow the franchisor's guidelines but many times you can put some added spin to it. You can put your own mark on some things and so on. So, you know, we want to do it better than everybody else. We want to do it better than the competition. But if we're sharing a market with other franchisees, we kind of want to do it better than them too. And you could look at that a couple different ways, either to be a leader. So hopefully they follow and improve what they're doing, but also from a competitive standpoint, you simply just want to be the best. So uh, building your own brand under the brand that you represent, I think is quite powerful. You know, we do, and again, these are all suggestions for franchisees and co-ops and markets. You know, uh, supporting nonprofits is a very powerful way to get marketing done uh, for almost no cost, in some, some cases free, and do some good things in your community and kind of set yourself apart from your competition in that doing the right things at the right mm -hmm. times. So um, that's part of adding to your brand. You know, we got our family involved and having a family first atmosphere in your franchise system is very powerful. So, um, you know, and I will tell you again, back to your original question, you know, uh, if I'm going to talk about IFA and the opportunities to learn from your peers, I have taken so much from those meetings um, mm -hmm. that
that I've taken back and talked about to my talk about with my family, and some of those get incorporated to what we do as we continue to grow. And so the cost of being involved in those associations and going to events and things like that may seem, you know, a little high for somebody that's got one or two units. But if you look at the return on investment and taking one idea and coming back and incorporating it, uh, you might spend $5,000 to go to one of these events and come back and in the first year get $50,000 worth of return on that one idea you brought back. So I would suggest they not be short-sighted and start looking at the, the, the bigger picture and so on. So that's what's gone on with us. And I can only say um, we're going to continue to grow our uh, involvement in uh, IFA and certainly our uh, FAC uh, groups that we're responsible uh, or we report to uh, because it is a powerful way for us to continue to grow our personal brand. So Jerry, since you are such a wealth of information on this topic and you have done so much work in this area, how would people reach you if they wanted to get a little more plugged in and were looking to, to get some advice and pointed in the right direction? Oh, great question. Thank you very much for asking that. Well, first off, they can go to Pillars of fin uh, Franchising because I'm pretty yeah. sure they can reach me through the Pillars Franch uh, Franch of Franchising website. So that would be number, my number one suggestion. But also, you can email me, jerry.acres, that's A-K-E-R-S, at greatclips.net. And I, uh, I get approached to do a lot of consulting and coaching, and, and I share my ideas freely, so certainly uh, anybody can reach out to me. Uh, and I'll help them any way I can. And I got just a couple quick comments about Eric, and yeah. then we'll we'll continue on roll off of this thing. I had a couple things that re he said that really uh, resonated with me. Again, part of IFA and so on. Service members are going to be great franchisees in most mm -hmm. cases because they're used to following systems. Franchising is a system. Um, I I dearly love working with. Um, retired service members uh, in getting into franchising and expanding on the brand. So I want to reinforce that for our listening mm -hmm. world uh, in case they miss it when Eric said it. Um, I really appreciated a comment he made, and I use this with franchisees when I coach them, and I want our audience to hear this again. Um, and it's hard for us to admit this, so I, I want to commend Eric for bringing it up, and I will also say I've done it, so it's not just him. When you're built like we are, you can get too aggressive in your growth process. Mm -hmm. And you can get uh, over your skis is an old term, right? You can get ahead of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can build units too quickly to where they, they exist in the first units are not cash flowing yet, maybe. And then you just dig deeper and deeper. And before long, your finances are a little bit upside down because you're supporting so many new um, you know, units because they haven't got to break even yet. And it's pretty easy to get into that situation when you get excited and you start negotiating leases and, you know, you've got somebody in your ear chirping about continuing to grow and it's built into your DNA to grow. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I really want our listeners to understand I am a huge proponent of quick growth, but we do have to have some breaks on that process. We have to recognize where the shortfalls of that process are and make sure that we take it into account when we're making our plans and implementing. So kudos to Eric for calling that out. I admitted we've done it too a couple times and you learn from your experiences and what Eric and I do, I'm sure I can speak for Eric. We pass that along to other franchisees so they don't make the same mistake. So exactly. those are the two, <laughs> two things I wanted to call out. And I'll tell you, this has been a great section, a great segment, a great show. And I appreciate being a part of it. So thanks a lot, Elizabeth. Well, and thank you for the good advice as usual, Jerry. We will see you next week. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at FranchiseShow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we'd love to have call-in guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned. More coming up. All right. Thank you for joining us on the show today, and thank you to our guest, Eric Lazar of SpeedPro, 
As always, we appreciate our million-dollar mentor, Jerry Akers, uh, Jill Carnegie's Karen Kimsey-Sword, and Laura Lips, um, our franchising attorney. I am Elizabeth Denham uh, with producer Fred McMurray. Together, we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here.